This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a... A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Big D, I'm disappointed in Cody. Why? He bails on our freaking roundup last week. I a took good my one. wife out a real for her birthday. No, and no, I it took was your birthday. It was your birthday. Yeah, I thought well, her birthday. It, it was closer to my birthday, but I surprised her with Stevie Nicks tickets concert concert tickets. Well, this is how I saw it. It was your birthday the day before, so it wasn't technically like closer. It was literally your birthday. You dressed in a in a in a uh, a jacket that had a pocket square, and you went off and had uh, dinner and. Um, and drinks, and then a Stevie Nicks concert. So technically, it was maybe a birthday present to yourself that your wife said, hey, let's do this, and yeah, we can celebrate my birthday, but it's nowhere near my birthday. Sound about right? Uh, if we're if I'm going to surprise myself with a birthday surprise, it probably would not be Stevie Nicks tickets concert tickets. But I believe that it was a... I mean, maybe my wife is uh, just blatantly open about what a shitty gift giver I am. 
and I haven't taken any hard uh, repercussions on this one. I think maybe she liked this one. Yeah, yeah. Then we had a phenomenal roundup in which I gave you kudos that the roundup would be better with you on it, and you didn't even listen to the roundup. I I just haven't gotten to it yet. I I've been busy, crazy busy. Oh, uh, yes. So this is just a pile on Cody. Go ahead, Big D. I was just going to say, while you're at it, you need to put something in that window back there so there isn't such a glare on on the screen. It also heats my house up. I'm currently in the process of uh, fairly hard to find blinds for a triangle. If someone could invent blinds for a triangle, that would be uh, magnificent. And then today. I grew up up living in a trailer. And sheets, you can just tack them up anywhere you want. You can pretty much create a blind out of anything i'll tell you what exactly. why don't you bring that up with my lovely wife that we're going to tack sheets to the wall okay i'm mm-hmm. sure she'll i'm sure she'll take that real well from me yeah exactly you guys have such are so good at uh, recommending things to each other you know the other thing that i lost the last pile on that i'll have on cody is that you know cody is adamant that with cody on the roundup the roundups are better and Cody drinking agave on a roundup makes it even better. Everyone's well, adamant Cody, about that. Except one individual who emailed us. Right. And one he happens you. to be he, he happens to be the wildlife coordinator, the wildlife science coordinator for the state of Arizona, Jim Heffelfinger, and said, please, please explain to Cody that Mexican wolves and the red wolves of North Carolina are not the same thing. And please stop pushing false information and confusion into the social media podcast sphere. Please. I got to go back and listen to what I said. And by no means, if there was a person like I could probably work up the gumption to argue with you about wildlife biology. I will tell you that of the people in the sphere right now that I respect their knowledge, Heffelfinger is probably at the top of it. I have zero arguments for what he's saying. I'm not the only person ever that used the phrase Mexican red wolf, though. I'm wrong. <laughs> it's wrong. It's wrong. I, I, I went and looked it up. There, there, there's a Mexican wolf. And there's a red wolf, okay? They're, can they're, I quote? Can I quote the beginning of the email? The beginning yeah, as long of as you the email. Put the LOL in there. As long as you put the LOL in there, so Hef, we know that Heffelfinger is not completely mad at us. Yeah. Holy shit, Robbie! This is how the email starts. It wasn't even like a salutation. Holy shit, Robbie! Cody needs to stop talking about Mexican quote unquote red wolves after two agaves. Exclamation point, LOL. I have never uh, claimed, then, I, 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 do, I do believe I know I'm, I'm a one step above a layman in the politics of wolves. I am strictly a layman in the biology of wolves. Didn't have anything to do with the agave. I got the phrase Mexican red wolf. I, I did not, I, I honestly didn't know. I, I didn't know that the North Carolina wolves and the, in the Arizona, New Mexico, I, I genuinely thought they were the same species. So it, it's been cleared up now. I won't, uh, 
I won't do it again. I can't even promise. Mexican Red Wolves is a phrase that rolls off the mouth pretty easy. It does. It sounds legit. Right. It's not. It's not. And uh, if Jim Heffelfinger is going to correct me, I will take that uh, proudly. Proudly. Well, here's one thing you could correct. You can explain to Jim because he responded. When I responded back to his email, he responded back to me. And he goes, Robbie, what is, quote unquote, agave anyway? Question mark. I'm a fan of all things that come from agaves, but I don't understand what he is referring to. So you can educate him on that. Um, well, why don't we go ahead and educate him? Because we're trying to get the, the yeah, sponsorship. Exactly. Still on a on a several month quest for Peach Street Distilleries to sponsor us here. Um, a, an, if you drink a, if you're drinking agave, you are drinking tequila, but it cannot be called tequila unless it is produced. I believe it has to be produced in the state of Sonora in Mexico. It's kind of like uh, the Scottish have the rights to the word scotch. You can make, you can use the exact same processes to make a whiskey as they do in Scotland, but you cannot call it legally, internationally, you can't call it scotch unless it came from, a, the, the water, I believe, on scotch has to come from a certain, there's a specific number of glens that it has to come from. And so tequila has to come from Mexico. I'm not sure about the Sonora State. I don't need Heffelfinger researching this and correcting me on that. But if it doesn't come from Mexico, it can't be tequila. So agave is a tequila-esque drink distilled in uh, Palisades, Colorado. All, all over. There's a lot of people that make agave. We're particularly fond of the uh, Palisade Peach Street Distillery. I, I, I am somewhat uh, chronic. You have definitely. Well, have, have you have you left your long lost love behind? What was a blackberry dog? bird dog? Oh. oh no no no! I took some blackberry bird dog to the uh, Green River this weekend fishing with uh, Mister Daryl. There partook on the river. It's kind of my, uh, it's kind of, no, I, I like them both, but I definitely, when I'm sitting around socially at the house, I have made a switch to Peach Street Distilleries de Gave Extra. Oh, I had the fishing time of my life. Like it was, I haven't even stopped talking about it. Um, and I'm ready to go back. I'm, I'm half tempted to, schedule another trip like next month that's how much fun i had up there in, in green river the people up there were great but i will say there were some very peculiar people that live in dutch john utah but uh the fishing is top notch the guides were phenomenal um the karaoke guy in the korean barbecue slash restaurant was not the greatest but you know hey at least we got serenaded while we were eating. But nice. uh, fishing, man. And we got to put the bamboo rods to work and caught a lot of fish. And, and as a matter of fact. These are the bamboo rods that you made, right? Yeah. And and it, it was a little sketchy. A couple times I thought I thought some of those browns we were laying into, I was gonna snap my rod in half. I was I was a little I was a little afraid on a on a few of them, but 
man, those those rods held strong. Oh, they were phenomenal and, and such a great time to, to to fish. It was. We, I mean, we could not have had better weather. The fishing was great. There wasn't a lot of people. I mean, it was just a, a super great time. Probably the, the of all the places I've been. Probably the place that is the most focused on one thing. Like, there's a lot of places, right? Like, if you go to Stuttgart, Arkansas, it's about duck hunting. But they've got other things to do also. If you go to, if, if you go to Dutch John, Utah, and you're not rafting or fly fishing, you're knitting. I mean, you're you're bringing a book because that's that's what there is to do there. It just so happens to be that that uh, Green River coming off the Flaming Gorge Reservoir. Probably the best fishery I've ever fished, maybe. I mean, I've fished the, the Yellowstone and had that same kind of, where just in fish every single second that you're there, you're fishing to a particular fish. But, uh, no, it was it was incredible. The bamboo rods now, were really, like, I, it was the first time I realized the total difference in the bamboo. And on a dry fly, it was really cool that something that I like, I can control it better than my relatively uh, expensive, you know, professional setup that I have and was store-bought. I like my bamboo rod a lot. Now, there was a third individual with you, Duck. I don't think we've ever spoken about Duck on this podcast. Duck is Daryl's brother. Uh, uh, is he still with Marsock? Did I get no, that right? No, he's retired. He's uh, He's retired now and... Looks like bloody Jeremiah Johnson. He's he's got a beard on him. That, right now, that sure. beard is like solid, solid, like square even. Like it's squaring out. Yeah, wow. it'll make it'll give you beard envy. That's for sure. What what you won't I was get about to say, Duck Joe? Did you did you get a little bit of beard envy there, Cody? Because yours doesn't square out. Yours just like poofs. Huh. Yeah, I know. I get beard. I get beard envy every time I'm with Duck. What you don't get with Duck is fishing envy. Because you've never, you've never met a person who will put all of the time and treasure into going on a fishing trip and then give less of a shit if he ever catches a fish. Like, it happens every time we go fishing with him. He doesn't catch a lot. And it's because he's taking pictures and he does no problem popping the flask at 730. He doesn't get, like, belligerent drunk, but he's just doing other things. And it never fails that like two or three days in, Daryl and I are like, we've decided we're going to help him. And he's like, I, I'm fine. I don't care at all. I believe that he netted two fish. And I think that in that same time frame added together, Daryl and I were in the 45 to 50 fish range. And so we, we like stop what we're doing and we start helping him. And then he just like pushes us. So he's like, I don't, I'm perfectly fine, you know, and it's not a skill thing. It's not a, it's just uh, a lot of us talk about enjoying nature, but if I don't went those three days and saw that many fish and caught two, I don't have the same level of uh I don't have the same attitude that he does about it. I would be mad at myself for not being able to figure it out. And man alive, he just does not. He just doesn't care at all if he catches fish. But well, I will say this, not- though. 
he is the only person I know that not on just this occasion, but he, you watch him and we're all fishing hard and he's sneaking around in the shallows with his net trying to catch fish without his rod. And damned if he didn't, damned if he didn't scoop up a brown trout with his, with his net without even using his rod. So, you know, I mean, we're all out there throwing flies and, you know, using gear, but you know, he's got this thing about netting them without catching them on the rod and he does it. That's not the first time he's done it. So he's beating us in that category. Nice. He, nice he's a nice. unique individual. That he is. Daryl's brother, by the way, is who we're talking about. Yep, yep. Well, let's uh, let's do a little bit of admin. Uh, doesn't seem like we had any text messages come into the text line. Nope, um, it's been a little slow. Missing you, Tim and Dave. Fired up. Send us something. 620-860-4804. Or you can email us at info at bloodorigins.com. Yeah, and if you have a question, if you want us to talk about a specific policy action or a specific like ethic or anything that's hot in the hunting industry that you know that we probably have an opinion on or we want to talk about, send us a text, send us an email, send us a DM through Instagram. Um, we definitely have one of the biggest fundraisers of the year on our doorstep right now. Uh, we're doing a phenomenal job. I think the last time I looked, we're close to $48,000. Um, it's the Arkansas Black Bear Collaring Project. We have $30,000 with the match, which means we can get to $60,000 if we raise $30,000, okay? Not a lot of money. Uh, the fact that we're close to $50,000 means that we've raised about $25,000 of grassroots funding, which is amazing. It'd be amazing to get to $60,000. I think, honestly, between the three of us and the three people that listen to the roundup, it's going to be tough to get the 60 to 70 just because there's no match tied to it. It's people, you know, dropping some big checks, but to get to 60, it's going to be, that'll be huge. It, it really will fund the project beyond what we, 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 we know the project needs. It's, it's going to fund the, the, the storytelling around the project. Um, just a great project, man, a great project for hunters to show what they do for, for data and science collection for a sustainable wildlife population that we like to hunt. Yeah, here's some, here, here's some quick math on the Arkansas Bear Project, okay? The top two teams each get to send four people. You can have as many people on your team as you want, but winner, but to claim there's two, pri two big travel prizes. And the top two teams, four members of each, so you and three of your of your friends, can go to Arkansas and help din some bears or catch and collar some bears, help with this study that we're helping fund. Okay? Might seem kind of late in the game. Um, and I will admit that, that How for Wildlife is blowing the doors off of it. They've raised $28,000. But the second-place team is at $5,700. Now, while that seems daunting, you only have to raise $2,850 to, to be tied with them because it's the, and up for the next $13,000 that we raise, everything's going to be matched. I'm sorry, the next $6,500 that we raise. You could put together a team right now, go in, go to our website, click on price. Raise five grand and you can get to second place. Yeah, you raise three grand. Because mm -hmm. it's going to get matched. You could raise $3,000 and you would be in second place 
gearing up to go to Arkansas to collar black bears. I would be all over this. Every once in a while, we run a legitimate fundraiser and the prizes are something that I contemplate quitting my job at Blood Origins for a while to just go win the prize and then I'll see if I can get my job back. Is that is that allowed? Quit for a week? You maybe. <laughs> maybe. No, that's sweet. You think you can you think you can raise three grand? I'll quit you. I'll quit you for a week. Do I think I can rate and and if I get second place I get to go and my team gets to go? Yeah. Why not? Why is that a conflict of interest? You just raised enough money. It's not like where's the conflict of interest with the raising of money? You have to raise the money. Wait, I need you to put this on the record because I'm about to form a freaking team and we're about to raise three grand and go collar bears. Daryl and I have we just put Duck as the just put Duck as the captain. Hmm. It, It seems like we're conspiring and recording it. Yeah, that's okay. I feel like I feel like this is going to come back and bite us. Yeah. <laughs> Daryl and I Daryl and I got to call our whitetails. Oh yeah, that was awesome. Daryl's daughter is doing a uh, study through uh, NC State, right? Yeah. Uh, North Carolina State. We flew out to uh, to uh, Raleigh and um, and a guy darted a deer. We rushed in. I got to be the scribe. I wrote all the the scientific data down as Makaya yelled at me to write stuff down and and we collared a uh, white tailed buck out there. It was pretty cool stuff. And I, man, would I like to do it with a black bear. And we became bird watchers all in the same trip. Bird watchers. Oh God, he's wrapped up like you wouldn't believe. He is so nerded out on this. Who who put it out? Cornell. Yeah, Cornell. They've got an app uh, called Merlin. It's a you know. Yeah, I know what Merlin is. It's a citizen science bird app. Yeah. I'm I I, I'm trying to get as many people involved in it as I possibly can. I pitched this thing like. Carver, stop! 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 So you know what they call people like you in the bird in not in the bird world, but the people that look at the bird world. They called you twitches. Yes, he is a full blown twitcher. And I, so I remember in just in Kruger National Park, growing up in Kruger National Park, going into the National Park of South Africa, you go in to see big game, right? You want to see elephants and lions and leopards, and the way that you, the way that you see those things is that someone else has seen them before you have, and so the the traffic piles up, or you 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 creep up to this individual, and you're like, "What do you see? What do you see?" And the bloody twitches would go, "You see that red bird over there?" We're like, "Oh God." They used to have signs that would put. They would the the they the bird people would put signs in their vehicles saying, "We are looking at birds. Do not stop." That's uh, <laughs> and I, I I will admit that I got deeply into it as well. It's fun. That app is awesome because even if you're just hearing a bird, you can make the app listen to it and and it tells you what it is. And I've been able That's to awesome. identify, identify all my hummingbirds that are at the house right now, but. Uh, yeah, What's Darryl your number was, right now, Daryl? I got thirty-five on the on the books right now. Now, I, yeah. I, I, I there will, are people with like nine hundred. I know. Well, I, I will say that, and in perfect honesty, I don't remember a single detail about any of the birds that I've identified. It to me, it's just about seeing a bird and somehow trying to figure out the box. I, I, yeah. I'm just I'm yeah. just trying to help Cornell University. I'm not trying to figure out like what their sounds like. I, I'm not that smart, so I, I I'm. No, but you're also interested in the number. 
I'm absolutely the, interested in the, the number wants to grow. Hey, I don't know if you know this or not, but Blood Origins is involved in a a bird taxidermy documentary. Did you know that? I did not know that. Called Henry Springer. Henry Springer probably had one of the largest bird collections in taxidermy bird collections in the world. He was a German engineer out of Alaska. He passed away with cancer. And at the time, he was fighting the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, for permits associated with some of the birds that he had uh, taken in the wild. Fascinating individual. And there's a, a museum in Texas uh, with uh, Brush Country Studios. It actually belongs to the uh, Warren Wildlife Gallery um, that has his collection in it. It is magnificent. He built these things called dioramas of different birds and insects of different habitats all around the world. In their environment? In their little environment. He would create it, right? He would, And it was, you know, plastic foliage to recreate the type of uh, foliage. But he would have, like, different species of birds at different elevations from Nepal, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000, 10,000 feet. That's cool. This is the kind of guy that went to Nepal to hunt a blue sheep. And the only reason he went to hunt a blue sheep was to collect all the birds. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to be doing that, I promise you. But I thought it was pretty interesting. And and when you're sitting around waiting for somebody to dart a deer, there's a lot of time on your hands and a lot of birds in North Carolina. So it gave us something to do, especially because we were sitting on the right across the street from people who were looking at us and were standing around with binos. So it looked a little bit peculiar, but. We, you, we use that app to call birds in. Oh, yeah. Like like just holding the phone up and you, you can hit the call sounds of the specific bird that's supposed to be in your region. And no shit at work. They came over and landed right by us so we could take pictures of them. Wow. That's the Merlin app. Yeah, we called in a tufted, tufted titmouse. Brought him right into the branch right above us. And we got a visual identification and... Log that sucker in. How many people can say they've called in a tufted titmouse? Not very many. You not very many. <laughs> and let, let's let's remind people who Daryl Carver is. Daryl Carver is a retired sergeant major of the Marine Corps that is now calling in tufted titmice birds um, as a hobby. He's good at it too. He just pushes that button on his phone and boom, they start coming like crazy. Oh boy. All right. So black bear fundraiser, get in on it, make a team. It's not too late. You can get the second prize. We do have prizes for third place, fourth place, fifth place. There's a bunch of Canis uh, gift cards. There's a bunch of coffee available. Just get involved. Let's get to the $60,000. Um, it's a great, it's a great, great, great project. It's a great project for hunters, a great project for our hunting community. Anything else, gentlemen? Not administratively, I don't think so. Uh, we still have a shop. You can buy some swag. We've been, we don't really focus on our shop at all. Uh, we certainly should, um, but we don't. But there's a bunch of t-shirts and a, and a hoodie and a long sleeve shirt that you can buy. Daryl Carver is actually wearing one of our shirts right now, even though yeah. this is an, an just, audio. I just got sure. another shipment from you guys. Nice. Yeah, you got. You were the one who bought the um, the white shirt with the black helix. I did. 
How's it yeah, look? And I got the long sleeve black with the white helix. Yeah, how's the long sleeve? Well, I live in Vegas. It's not really great right now. but Oh, that's right. Did you wash them when they came in? Yeah, absolutely. You know, have you been listening? Like, we had like... Text like a huge message. controversy. We, had, it, it, we you created an entire text message controversy with our listeners, and one guy's like, "Well, that's dumb unless it's underwear." He's like, "I do underwear, but I don't watch anything else." One guy's like, "I'm I'm right there with you, Daryl. I watch everything." We got a, we got a lot of a lot of text controversy over the whether or not you wash your clothes before you wear them the first time when they come in the mail. Do we have another country specific shirt coming soon, Robbie? We should. We should. I should make one. What what should we do? How about how about we make some hats? Why don't you we, take on the role of finding a hat provider? I've already found a hat provider. I've got the contact info. I have you're wearing one of the hats right now. I, I know here's the, here's our issue. Well, let's just discuss this publicly so, so that the, the the listeners might know the answer for us. What do you think? Oh yeah. We have a lot we're it, if if you if you were to pick a number, Blood Origins listeners, Blood Origins people that listen to our message, whether it's on this podcast or social media or YouTube, is about 67, 68% US. So it's about 32, 33%, 33-34% international. We're we're trying to find a hat provider we would like to have a single hat provider that can take care of us internationally as well there's got to be one um or and you know drop ship, and drop ship it out well right? in, the, in the meantime Make a hat, drop ship it out in the meantime let's not have any hats for the next two years until we figure out this the solution to this i've got one i've got two i've got two blood origins hats we will figure it out. We we need to figure it out. But yes, we've got some swag, some good swag, some good shirts. Uh, we've got a UK shirt up there. And uh, yeah, we'll figure something out. I think, I don't know. I'll figure out a country. Canada, Barry. Canada's next. Excellent. Uh, Canada it is. Done deal. Done. Done deal. So we have a couple of articles this uh, month. Uh, since you didn't listen to the podcast last week, you put an article on there that um, we've already covered. Do you want to re- rehash that, Cody, or do you just want it to pass on? Daryl says, nope, we're not doing it. Thank you, Daryl. Appreciate the, 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 the head nod. Cody, appreciate you listening to the work that we put out there. Um, so why don't we just move on to the Everybody's topic. agreeing this time. This is great. Normally, yeah. normally there's, a lot of, there's a lot of controversy and a little bit of arguing back and forth. All right, carrying on. Carrying on. Uh, not much happening in the news right now. I do know that tomorrow, well, this would have been tomorrow whilst we're recording it. So last week, the Daily Mail in the UK is going to be producing a series of commentaries around trophy hunting. And um, one of and this, uh, it, it's interesting. The UK has some varying topics, not, not topics isn't the word, varying opinions on trophy hunting. Naturally, for the most part, they are against it. Uh, But there was a comment written in the Times on May the 18th, on Wednesday, and I want to read this to you because this whole idea of trophy hunting, you know, even American hunters, 
you know, there's people that are against trophy hunting, but this guy wrote trophy case. I've changed my mind about quote unquote trophy hunting. A bill is coming before parliament to ban trophy imports on a huge range of species. And as I don't hunt, wouldn't and faintly disapprove, I vaguely wish the measure well. One struggles to be in favor of the elderly rich standing astride the pathetic corpses of elderly lions bred for slaughter. But traveling overland across South Africa, Namibia, and Botswana took me to many lodges in private game reserves where farmers have decided to let vast tracts of land go back to the wild. On their walls are the heads of antelope, zebra, and other beasts shot by their clients, and it's clear that hunting is an integral part of the rewilding economy. We do need to talk to African governments and conservationists about this. I could keep about four times as many head of cattle on this land as Kudu and Eland, one owner explained to me. Conservation has to be monetized. I so want this beautiful lodge and park where giraffe and zebra numbers are increasing to stay in business. If quote-unquote trophies are the price of that, so be it. Well said. You both are going to Africa in September to trophy hunt, correct? Yes, sir. I have never used, nor, nor do I actually know anyone who has said to me, hey, I'm going out trophy hunting this weekend. But yes, by every definition of the word, we are going to Africa. You are going to hunt in Africa, number one. Yes. Correct? Yes. Number two, you are hoping to get the best opportunity. You're hoping to get an opportunity at the best specimen of a certain species of animal that you're going after. Yes. But going Does that equate to a trophy? That is debatable. No, I, I think it does. I think it does. But I think the fact that, you know, that we've just beat into the ground like a year, a year long dead horse is if, if we went over there, shit, we've done it. Daryl and I have done it. We've gone places hunting where we absolutely wanted to harvest a large mature male that we were then going to take parts of to the taxidermist if we were successful and not and left with nothing but less money in our pockets over and over. We've done it multiple times. And I've done it multiple times for bear. Yeah. Like every time you've ever gone for bear, right? Yeah. Just like Cody's gone for tarpon. It's money in the, oh. in the <laughs> That's a dick move. I, hey, I, I, listen, I listen to the roundup. <laughs> yeah, that, but it is true. Yeah, and, and I'm going back. And I'm going back because I love doing it. I'm going back to Africa because I loved Africa. And the, hmm. the pulling of the trigger is less than, it's less than 20% of it to me. There's, there's, there's a million other things. And, and that's, I, I, you know, I, I feel like a broken record. I feel like the the quote that you just read is the message that we've been saying forever that you know that that conservation has to be monetized is a is a a new way of saying it that I kind of like or it's a way that I've never you know I've never said it exactly that way but yeah we're going to Africa and we are by every definition of these people's phraseology going trophy hunting but if by chance we don't get anything i'll still board the plane with a smile um and there's so much more to it than that as well as the fact that i'm going to see 
a lot of game in wild places that aren't being used for soybeans or cattle. Yeah, let's be honest. You guys spending your money with Carl, you're going to go hunt with John X. You guys spending your money with Carl allows Carl to keep his place open and keep his place wild. Right. And Carl does a lot of other things besides bring hunters in, right? He, he, he covers down on a lot of projects and, and Bud Origins, you know, we, we, we got a great opportunity to show that and, you know, with the schoolhouse that he, he works with there. I, you know, I, I've, I listen to the, the verbiage about trophy, you know, I read all the articles, I listen to all the podcasts, you know, back and forth about trophy hunting. I think we chase our tails a little bit on the word itself and we try to apply our personal view on what trophy means to everybody else's situation. So like for instance, right? I've got a small little vial of sand from Iwo Jima. That's a trophy for me, but to anybody else who's not a Marine, it's just a little vial of dirt. I've got wheat heads of wheat from the fields in Bella wood. And to anybody else, that's just a piece of, you know, flora and fauna that's dried out and nobody cares about it. But to me, that's a trophy. That's something that means a lot to me specifically. And it's the same thing when, it, you know, when it comes to hunting small game, big game, or, you know, or fishing for that matter. What a trophy is to me is completely different than everybody else in my view. I think what happens a lot of times is everybody wants to apply their own personal view on what trophy is. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that there is the world out there views trophies, you know, in a, in a context that's very negative. I remember, you know, in several roundups where you guys talked about, okay, well, let's, let's come up with a different word for trophy, right? But then what happens is, is the opposition shifts their, their, you know, attack. And that's the word that you go after. So, you know, in my view, you just got to stand your ground, justify, you know, what what hunters do for conservation and why it's important that the animal and the and the, the environments that they live in, it's important to maintain those things. And it's all based on the data and the science, not on, you know, I know you are, but what am I kind of defense, which is what I think a lot of people revert to. Yeah, I don't think that we are going to ever get rid of the word trophy hunting. I think that it's conservation hunting, okay? That's some a term that is being bantered around, like we should be using that term, conservation hunting. And if we did try to do it or push it, all we would be accused of is putting lipstick on a pig. That's it. Right. So why would we ever just, instead of what, what you just articulated, is come up with a narrative, come up with a rhetoric that you stick by, that is, this is what trophy hunting is. First of all, let, let, well, let me throw this out to you. And Robbie, I'll be interested to hear your answer from your the, the people that you know internationally. Do you guys know anyone that has have – you, have you ever heard any hunter that you hunt with refer to themselves as trophy hunter? Like it's it, – the word is a word that the antis use. Mm-hmm. No, we, nobody would say that. Nobody, you're right. Nobody goes and says we're going trophy hunting now. They they used, you know, they'll use terminology that is sort of indicative of it, which is, you know, I'm going there and I want to shoot X. I'm I'm not going to, you know, for instance, someone who's going to go leopard hunting. 
and the age-based quota for that leopard hunt is six years and above. That individual going hunting says, no, I want to shoot an eight-year-old leopard. Because to me, that's a more wily individual to take, but it's also a more sustainable individual to take. But he's not talking about it from a trophy perspective. He's talking about it from a sustainability perspective. Someone else could say, just like we've had the controversy around the elephants, I'm interested in shooting an 80-plus pounder, 90-plus pounder, 100-plus pounder. So you're valuing a certain characteristic of that animal when you go in to hunt it. You're not calling yourself a trophy hunter, but that's the equivalent. Don't you think there's a giant percentage, and not all, I want to be the first to admit that I think there's some serious assholes in this game that do what we do as well, right? So some of these people are. But don't you think that that saying I want to shoot a 90-pounder, if I said to my guide on an elephant hunt, I only want to shoot a 90-pounder, it would not be because I would feel like a bitch taking a 60-pounder back. It would be because I don't want to shoot anything but an old, mature animal. I don't want to take anything but... I think there's so many and so let's change this let's change it real quick to whitetails right yeah yeah it's it's elephants are difficult because there's so many nuances tied to the right. age and the, right. the pound so yeah. change it to whitetails when someone says i only want to shoot whatever 160 or 180 plus right yeah. yeah 180 yeah there you go you're getting you're going after it. i think but there's a multitude of reasons that they say that. It's not all just a just a a big a big bad boy contest. Some of it is, I'm gonna tell you this, I did it for a while where I only wanted to shoot big deer, and it was because I didn't want it, I I like I I don't like dressing them out. Right? Like literally, it, it wasn't some ego thing, but for the longest time before I started really enjoying eating it. I only wanted to shoot big deer because I, di I, I didn't enjoy dressing. I didn't want to dress out a deer. Hmm. So it had to be this big to make it worth it to me, right? It wasn't that it wasn't some egotistical, crazy show off to my friends things. Not that I wouldn't have, but I'm saying there's a million different reasons driving why a million different individual reasons driving why people have selected what they want their trophy to be. And that whole concept, the whole concept of trophy hunting is rooted in conservation. I mean, when you go back to the to the beginning. No, it's not really. Well, it could be. Yes, you're right. You're right. You're right. Today, I, I today's correct. regulations, not, mm -hmm. not 200 years ago, sitting around the campfire bragging about the bigger rack. But today's regulations, today's motivations are all rooted with the Boone and Crockett Club encouraging the harvesting of mature males that's where that that's where that derived from yeah for the perpetuation of the species yeah 200 right. years ago it wasn't all it was it had nothing to do with actually rack it was just probably the most meat that got brought back well, yeah just absolutely I, I think there was a time when when folks were excited to shoot a great big deer and that was not rooted in Someone saying, hey, it's better for the entire population if we only take mature males, because it is. Mm. And so I, I don't, I feel like we talk in circles, and sometimes I feel like our listeners are going to be like, yeah, we've covered this, guys. But I don't understand 
it goes back to me not getting why more people don't see that there would be way less wild country in Africa if it wasn't for hunting. There would be way less wild country in the United States if it wasn't for hunting. Um, and that's what we really want is more wild country for the, for the wildlife to thrive on. Well said. Well said. Well, let's talk about uh, wild country with wild animals thriving on it. Yellowstone National Park is a thriving wolf population that has seen some, uh, some removal through hunting in, in the states around it, Montana specifically. An article that was featured in yofile.com, Yellowstone colon wolf, wolf hunt altered behavior, comma, damaged research. So I, I, I know what I'm going to focus on in this article, which is the whole idea of damaging research. But uh, Daryl, why don't you, you want to take the lead on this or you want to hand it over to Cody? Or you? Well, I, I don't think I'm qualified to start this conversation out. Um, but I do, I will say this. Um, anytime I'm reading an article that is, has a, you know, a, the rhetoric of anti-hunting, it's usually filled with really colorful words, right? That's, that's like one of those things that whenever I'm reading articles like that, they, 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 they try to pull those Harlequin romance novel words out to make hunting and all things hunting to be, you know, extremely negative And they use big words for that. And this article is wrought with them. You know, I, I think my, my, my one thing I want to bring out to maybe that might bring up a little bit of a discussion on this is um, the gentleman that is kind of the centerpiece behind the information on this um, Smith. Like I'm trying. Yeah. Doug Smith, Doug Yellowstone Smith. senior wildlife biologist. Right. So Doug Smith um, and I'm, I might be speaking, but Doug Smith has been at Yellowstone working with the wolves for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. And that I don't think that that's a bad thing, but what I think happens a lot of times is we become very passionate and emotional about things when we work with them for too long that we get blinded of the whole, the, the bigger picture. And, and I think some of the information and the statements that this gentleman makes in this article, to me, I feel like, like instead of applying common sense science and data he's 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 applying a very emotional piece to it because he's tied to it for so long mm -hmm. and and that's that's kind of one of the things that i i, I pulled out of this article mm -hmm. i think that the mexican red wolves in yellowstone <laughs> oh god <laughs> i'm just kidding heffelfinger if you listen to this i know not only is there no such thing as Mexican red wolves, that neither Mexican or red wolves are what's in Yellowstone. Um, I think this article is a, is a pile of conjecture. It even kind of admits it. I'll give Doug Smith credit that the things that he says about the, the uh, change in reproductive patterns are just a theory. Like Doug, Doug at least says, we don't really know this for sure. It's just a theory. Yeah, yeah. Um, also pull this up and, and, and just as a as a side it's very intriguing that you know we've talked a lot about coyote behavior right 
and and you've heard me say they have evolved an adaptation to persecution. You've heard me say that. Here, Smith is saying exactly the same thing, that they're seeing more more cubs, more pups, sorry, not cubs, pups in these wolf packs. They're breeding more. It's my, very, very interesting. My father, who I would argue is in the uh, top 5% of civilian non-government employees in knowledge of Yellowstone. My dad, about uh, 30 years, no, 40 years ago, Developed the same level of interest in Yellowstone that Daryl has in bird watching right now. He just nerded on the thing. Um, and in fact, my dad knows Doug Smith from how much time my dad has spent watching the wolves in Yellowstone with Doug. Um, and I too agree with Daryl that there's some emotions involved. I think that Doug has done incredible things. I'm a gigantic fan of the Yellowstone reinstatement of wolves mm -hmm. and i am a firm believer that the people of wyoming idaho montana and now colorado who very much it's believed that the wolves in colorado came right down through the green river valley where we were last week um have a responsibility to develop a plan to deal with wolves not to eliminate wolves because they are somewhat of a nuisance um and I think that the people of Montana did that. And there's the thing that bothers me the most about this is the reference to them as Yellowstone wolves. They're wolves that happen to live in the park. No one is accusing anyone. I almost said no one killed a wolf in Yellowstone. I don't know that, but no one's accusing a wolf, a person of killing a wolf in the park. And once those wolves leave the park um there's gonna be human interaction i think i'm, I'm i think i'm creating a segue because i think i know where robbie's going with what he wants to talk about that human interact legal human interaction with these wolves does not skew data or damage research it creates incredible data and research correct dr kroger the first point is that humans are humans are not apart from an ecosystem. They are a part of the ecosystem. Humans are integral to our systems from, you know, from hundreds of years ago. So you tangibly, you want to see humans in, in influence on research. Now, granted, when this research started 27 years ago, they were very much interested in understanding wolf biology in Yellowstone in a system that is potentially free of human influence. Yes, I get it. But the statement, even in the article that says, we have multiple females pregnant in at least two packs, the Junction or PD pack, that could be due to mortality that we experience, could be being the operative words there. It's broken apart the social structure. It's messed with the hierarchy. It's actually produced more pups. That should excite the science. That should excite the scientists to say something has happened to the system that we now can understand the system better. We can understand the structure better. We can understand, put different hypotheses forward and test those hypotheses with modeling, with GPS, with GIS, with 
reproductive capabilities of different packs that experience different human influence and different human pressures. That's science, people. That is what research looks for. Research, the whole point of research is to actually generate more questions than you have answers to. Micaiah's PhD study is going to answer a specific hypothesis. It's going to answer a specific question, but it's going to come out with six more questions. It's Same funny. thing. It's funny that you bring up Micaiah, Daryl's daughter, who we've had on the podcast before. When we were out there in North Carolina, um, Collar and Deer, she, uh, I asked her, I'm like, hey, okay, I'm going to describe Micaiah's stance on hunting and Daryl can correct me. Um, I think she's a very open-minded person who loves animals to an extreme, right? Like I imagine Micaiah's husband, Seth, is probably having to scoop up spiders and haul them outside kind of a deal, right? But at the same time, I don't see her being judgmental of people that hunt. And I asked her when we were in North Carolina, I said, what are you going to do? What, what, what's your thoughts on somebody shooting, hunt, legally hunting one of your collared deer? And, you know, she just was straight up about it. She said, that's the, that's the data we need. We, wanted, we need to know what the legal influence of human beings is going to be on these deer. That's the data that we're after. And, uh, you know, it, it was, it was a cool response from somebody who, uh, again, I, I wouldn't call Kaya an, an anti hunter, but she is not a big fan of animals being harvested hurt in any way. Fair statement, Daryl. Yeah. I would say you're probably spot on, on, nine out of 10 of those points. Here's, here's a, a little bit of info on that, right? Um, you know, Robbie, you and I had that conversation when she had that first uh, mortality of one of the, one of the deer, right? And she was kind of upset about it. She, you know, a little bit skewed because it was, it was early on in her study. Mm -hmm. And you, and you told me, you were like, look, you got to tell her, like, this is the information that you need to have, right? Because she's trying to study that rural, that urban and rural divide where whitetail deer kind of intersect, right? right? Um, And that, that really put her, I think, put her mind at ease when it came to the mortality of a lot of these deer. So that was important, right? Um, The information you gave me, because I passed that along to her, like, that's the data that you need to understand. You know, when one of your deer passes for whatever reason, being hit by a car or taken by a hunter or whatever the situation is, that's mm-hmm. the data that you need for your study. But I will say that here's the key th- or an interesting thing with Makai. She is not an anti-hunter, but her entire life, she was not a fan of hunting, even though I did it the entire time that, you know, she was growing up. And it was like Cody said, it was because she cares about animals probably more than humans, I think, at, at times. Um, but here's the key. I've watched this transition in who she is and how she handles this whole process from her bachelor's degree to now her doctorate. Because, Cody, you're absolutely right. Right up until 
she started this doctorate where she's working in the field all the time and she's sitting in a tree stand trying to dart deer and running around in the dark trying to find these animals to make sure that you know nothing happens to them after they're darted um she would have very much had seth grab that spider and take it outside now she's completely capable of doing it all on her own and it was crazy to see this transition because my daughter has never been comfortable out in the woods and has never been comfortable around spiders or all the different things that go on out there but because she's so passionate about you know this process she's completely mm-hmm. changed her mentality and she's kind of a different person and it's kind of cool to watch mm-hmm. but you can see already though if you just took this two steps like Micaiah's research take that and say Micaiah decides to name all of her animals and give them names that's Steve that's Bruce that's Sheila whatever right the same thing with lions people get into lion research and they name these lions the whole Cecil the lion issue right Cecil the lion had a collar on him and it was the idea that this animal got taken and it was such a bad thing shouldn't have ever been in question because that's the point. That's the point of science, especially coloring data, because coloring data is is specifically for mortality. It's specifically if you're going to recapture that animal, like the Arkansas Black Bear Project that's looking at fecundity, it's looking at reproductive biology. That's the point of coloring and obviously home range and territories and whatnot, but mortality and the cause of mortality it's one of the key things tied to coloring studies. And unfortunately, the anthropomorphizing of the animal itself and its life and where it goes and how it interacts sort of supersedes the whole point of the research. I think that was interesting about this article too, though. If you, if you, you, know, if you read it, they do a lot of, you know, the, the author really brings out the numbers. They bring out these specific you know, alpha males and alpha females, like he wants the reader to, you know, feel that he knows this animal to make it more emotional and, and, and make the impact that much, I think, make yeah. the impact that much harder for him. So you're, you know, you're absolutely right. You might as well name each one of those wolves, Bruce and Sheila and, you know, whatnot. Yeah. The alpha female of the eight mile pack after she was killed, the rest of the pack went places they haven't been in 10 years. That's the kind of information you want. It'll be very interesting. I'll tell you this. It'll be very interesting. You know, in this article, people look it up. When you look at this article, what I think one of the best graphics in this article is they, they lay over Yellowstone the geographic territories of the various packs of these wolves. And you can see how the certain wolf packs actually uh, span their home range out of the Yellowstone. I would be fascinated to see what these boundaries look like in a year or two to see, because just like bison or just like anything that is hunted, they're going to adapt, especially a wolf, I think would adapt. And I think these home ranges are going to shift. Just my hypothesis. No, uh, I, I think the hypothesis is spot on and that shift I'm not trying to say that those hunters were out there with scientific data in mind, but that human influence has to be recorded as part of the data that's being recorded. And if it, if it's not there, then, uh, 
it's the realest data there is. Realist? Most real? It's the agave talking. Yeah. Yeah. I got three. My my wife over here shook her head. She's like, nope, don't say realist again. The most real data there is, is you have to include all the factors. And like you said, once they leave the park, not only that, inside the park. I mean, there's so many people inside that park. I'm, I'm about to jump firmly behind. Steve Ranella from Meat Eater has this plan where he wants to turn Yellowstone into a wilderness area instead of a national park. And I'm firmly behind it. I think all the roads should go away. No motorized traffic in Yellowstone. Mm. We'll have to leave that one for another day, my man, because... You know, it's getting close to that hour mark. You know how I get. I get a little antsy on that hour mark. I know. Two minutes. We're not going to wrap that conversation up in two minutes for sure. It's interesting because I just read a, um, I just read a paper about this whole idea of and maybe it's only Africa specific, but I think it has some germane, so sort of it is germane to some places in the U.S. that this idea of protectionist wilderness areas that excludes people really doesn't have the capability of sustaining itself because you've removed the, the human interaction and desire for that area to exist. Yeah, but that, okay, we're going to go over an hour because that's different than just removing the roads. I'm not saying removing human influence, period. I'm saying not many. No, no, no. This, this article specifically was to Africa, right? Which was like communities, like shifting, taking communities out of areas and, and making them settle on the outside of the area. It's not saying you're not allowed in there anymore. Same thing as your situation. That's what I was, that's why I was referring to it. Oh, yeah, that, in the Yellowstone context is essentially those communities. Like you can't, you can't be there anymore. You can't like seat yourself, but you can walk in if you'd like, but you just can't, you know, there's no big fingerprint on the landscape any longer. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I understand your point. But Yellowstone has become a zoo in July. I mean, it, it's the San Diego Zoo with without fences. Is all it is. And I, I think that I, I don't know. I don't have the answer. It'd be interesting to have a conversation that. about it sometime. Well, I'll tell you a funny and a, a funny a funny anecdote to to wrap things up. The idea, the concept of actually being able to step out of your vehicle in a national park in America is like mind-blowing. Like specifically Yellowstone. You could park your car and you could decide, I'm going to just go walk. I'm going to walk towards that wolf. I'm going to walk towards that grizzly. I'm going to do whatever I want. In South Africa, you are not allowed out of your vehicle in your national parks. Only a designated camping areas and bridges and overlooks and whatnot. Because things will eat you. <laughs> things will trample you. It's, it's just, it's mind-blowing. And, and it's funny. It's almost like, you know, maybe it's not so difficult for us, you know, us, when I say us, South Africans or people that are used to that system to come here and are like, wow, look at the freedoms that you have. Versus someone coming to South Africa and going, oh, I'm not allowed out of my vehicle to go get closer to that lion, you know? Freedom. It happens many times in the lion park specifically. I very distinctly remember as a kid growing up and in my 
and in my early 20s, um, headlines of people getting eaten in lion parks because they decided to get out of their vehicle in the lion park and walk up to the lion and take photographs. Freedom also gives you the freedom to be stupid. And there's multiple instances of that just out of Yellowstone every summer of people, you know, getting ridiculously close to animals but it, it's a very cool place but the you can't you can't pretend there was a statement in that article something about it, it was we were meant to study these animals without human influence or something along those lines and there's more human in on the landscape for freaking you know whatever you want to believe tens of thousands of years or millions of years i have wildlife area next to my house that has a thousand times less human influence than Yellowstone does. There is a lot of human influence in that park. So, are you just saying no more agave, right? No, I'm asking the the uh, extra humans here in the house right now to keep it down a little bit. <laughs> well, um, as always. Carver, you uh, you bring a different level out in the podcast. I thoroughly enjoy having you on every single time. Um, any final words as you refer to yourself as Big D in the description on Squadcast? Yeah, well, I, I figured that we were supposed to throw something kind of interesting out there. You guys obviously just went with Cody and Robbie, so next, next time I'll put my, uh, my, my, my name on there, I guess. I think you guys should change it up, though, and, and be different people. I could be Cody. I'd have to lose like 20 years of science information out of my brain, but I could do it. I can't be Robbie. <laughs> no, it's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, my man. Thanks, Cody, brother. Final word? No, no. Yeah. Please go check out the bear, the bear, pro the Arkansas bear project. It's a cool thing. Um, we really only need to raise $6,500 more. If you don't want to form a team, go in there and support one of the underdog teams and help them jump up or support Howl for Wildlife and extend their lead because they are absolutely – they're at 28000 and second place is 5500 right now. So please go check it out. We really only need to raise 6500 ish more, um, and the match will kick us to the 60000 number that we were hoping to give to um, – the state of Arkansas for this bear project. It's a, it's a good thing. That's going to not only lead to a better understanding of bear biology, but uh, possibly even some more hunting opportunities for bears in the state of Arkansas. Indeed. Indeed. Thank you, gentlemen. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening as always leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.